And this week, the title of the message is, Marriage is a Covenant. And we want to talk about what it means to be in covenant relationship. And I want to just say a couple of things that I said last week. Number one, if you're married, don't listen for your spouse. Don't listen to this message and think to yourself, uh-huh, that's exactly what I've been trying to tell him. Do not think that. Especially on this message, because on this message, all the time when I was preparing it and going through it, I was noticing how many times it would be very easy to say, yep, if he would do that, that would heal our marriage. Yep, that's what she needs to do. You tell her, preacher. Okay, don't do that. You listen for you. Second thing I want to tell you is if you're single or widowed or divorced, don't tune me out. Because we're talking about marriage, and marriage is the relationship on this earth that mirrors our relationship with the Lord. So everything that I say will be applicable to you and your relationship with the Lord. All right? So listen very carefully. Now, let's review for a moment. What is a contract? In a contract, when we enter into a contract, we enter into that contract to protect our rights and to limit our responsibilities. In other words, if you're going to sell your home or you're going to buy a business or you're going to do some transaction and you have a contract, you enter into that contract to protect your rights and to limit your responsibilities. Marriage will not work in a contract form. It will not work if you enter into that relationship to protect your rights or to limit your responsibilities. The only way it works is a covenant. And this is what a covenant is. In a covenant, we give up all of our rights and we assume our responsibilities. We give up rights, we lay down rights, and we pick up responsibility. It's the only way it works. It's the only way Christianity works. Christianity does not work as a contract. It only works as a covenant. Marriage does not work as a contract. It only works as a covenant. And last week we talked about the three rights that we have to lay down. The right of priority to give God and your partner first place in your life. The right of possession that you co-own and co-administrate every area of your life. And the right of privacy that you give that person the right to every area of your life. And here's what we said. Let me just recap this. Men have to be able to share their feelings, but women have to share their thoughts. In the same way that women say, well, my husband won't share his feelings with me, women are very bad about sharing their thoughts. They share them with other women or their mother, but not their spouse. And that's wrong. Let me say that again. That's wrong. The person you're supposed to be opening up to is your spouse, and he will never open up to you if you don't open up to him. So, that's a contract. Now, let's read Ephesians 5. We're going to talk about this week, marriage is a covenant. Ephesians 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, this is the verse we read last week, 
Genesis 2. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you, in particular, so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Verse 33 is the summary verse. Now, a couple of things I want you to notice. It's very easy to read this passage of Scripture, and let me say it again, and say, yes, that's right, my wife should be submitting to me. Yes, that's right, I, I see that Scripture, and I know that Scripture, and my husband is not doing that. Do not do that. Read this Scripture and see what your responsibility is, and do your responsibility. In a covenant, you have to be willing to be the Redeemer. In other words, you have to be willing to be cut first. The word covenant means to cut. So you have to be willing to be cut. Jesus was cut, sacrificed, and died to enter relationship with you. Now, this may sound like a strong statement to you, but if you're going to get married, you better be willing to be cut, (laughs) sacrificed, and die. Or your marriage will not work. Do you understand every marriage problem could be solved if one thing would happen in that marriage? Every one of them. After 20-something years of ministry now, never counseled with a couple that this wouldn't work. Never met a couple this wouldn't work. Never heard about a situation this wouldn't work. Every marriage situation could, could be solved if one thing would happen. Here's how simple it is. If both people would die. That would solve it. Right? Okay, now listen to me. I'm talking about spiritually. If each person would die to his will or her will, his desires, his choice, her choice, if each one would say, no, honey, whatever you want. No, no, really, honey, whatever you want. No, no, honey, whatever you want. No, honey. It'd be like that old cartoon, Chip and Dale wanting to enter into the hole. No, you jump. No, you go jump. No, you jump first. No, you jump first. Every marriage problem, everyone could be solved if every person coming in for counseling could say, really, it's fine with me. It's just whatever she wants. This is whatever she wants. It doesn't matter to me. And for her to say, it really, no, it really doesn't matter to me. Whatever she wants. He wants. Whatever he wants. That's what solve problems. Marriage is not that hard if you'll just die. If you'll just give up your will and your way, it's easy. So we talked last week about the three rights that we have to give up. Now let's talk about the three responsibilities that we have to pick up. Number one is love. And let me tell you what I believe love means. I assume the responsibility to love you according to the standard of Christ's love and to never justify any action or word that falls to a lower standard. Let me say that again. I assume the responsibility to love you according to the standard of Christ's love and to never justify any action or word that falls below that standard. Let me tell you something about God's love. It's unconditional. You can never do anything that would cause God not to love you. It doesn't say, for God so loved believers, that He gave His only begotten Son. It says, for God so loved the world. God loves you unconditionally. And this is the only way marriage works. Marriage works that if you say to your spouse, no matter what you do, I'm going to love you. God says, Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated His love toward us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what he's saying. In other words, while while your husband is still not doing the right thing, you'll die for him. You'll do the right thing. While your wife is not doing the right thing. That's what that verse says. While we were not doing the right thing, God still did the right thing. 
And that's how covenant comes about. That's what I'm saying to you. In a marriage situation, you say, I'm going to do my responsibility no matter whether you do or not. I'm going to love you no matter what you do. I'll love you if you don't perform. I'll love you if you do what's right. I'll love you if you do what's wrong. I don't care what your hormones are doing. I don't care who your mama is or if you remind me of her. I will love you. And I will love you unconditionally till the day I die. A covenant is irrevocable, unconditional, and unbreakable. A covenant is irrevocable, unconditional, and unbreakable. See, the difference between a contract and a covenant is, in a contract, if you don't fulfill your responsibility, then I don't have to fulfill mine. That's the difference. In a contract, if you're not fulfilling your responsibility, see, if you're not submitting to me as to the Lord, I don't have to love you. Or if you're not loving me and, and meeting my needs, I don't have to meet your needs. That's a contract. If you have that mentality, your marriage is in trouble. If you have the mentality that if my spouse is not meeting my needs and doing the right thing, I don't have to meet his needs then. You're wrong. You're wrong. Because a covenant says, I will cut myself, I will sacrifice myself, and I will die to meet your needs. That's what a covenant is. By the way, don't ever make the statement, if my spouse did this, that would end our marriage. If my spouse did this, if my spouse ever did this, that's the one thing I couldn't get over. That's the one thing I couldn't forgive. That's the one thing that would cause me to get a divorce. Do you understand when you say that, the devil says, thank you? Thank you. Because you just gave me the key to destroying your marriage. And I was working on your husband in about seven different areas. But now I know all I've got to do is work on him in one area. And I'm telling you, all hell will come against your husband in that area that you spoke with your mouth and said, that's the area. That's the area that will end my marriage. Don't do that. Here's what you say. There's nothing my husband could do that would end our marriage. There's nothing my wife could do. Divorce is not an option. You have to come to that place that divorce is not an option. You are in covenant, and covenant is irrevocable, and I'm going to walk with you no matter what. No matter how you're acting, I'm going to love you, and I'm going to serve you. Now, when I say I assume the responsibility to love you, According to the standard of Christ's love, and to never justify any action or word that falls below that standard. I'm not saying that, that I'll never fall below that standard. I'm saying that when I do, I'm not supposed to justify it. And that's what we get in marriage counseling. Continuously in marriage counseling, this is what people do. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know what I did was wrong, but let me tell you what she did, preacher. Wait, wait a minute. Let me tell you what she did, preacher. Let me, let me tell you what she did before I hung her over the balcony by her ankles. Let me tell you what she did, preacher. Let me tell you what she did doesn't matter what she did. You are not responsible for her actions. You are responsible for your actions and reactions, by the way. You're responsible for what you do, and God is not going to hold you into account for your husband's actions. He is, though, going to hold you into account for your actions. So you cannot justify You can't say, well, you just don't understand. No, I do understand. I understand that if you obey the Word of God, God says He'll bless you. I understand that if you disobey the Word of God, you're in trouble. And if you obey God in this area, listen to me, nothing justifies, nothing justifies falling below Christ's standard of love. Nothing, nothing justifies an unloving husband and nothing justifies a dishonoring wife. And by the way, that's the two things, main things that we're told in Ephesians 5 that we're supposed to do. Husbands are supposed to love, wives are supposed to honor. And listen to me, nothing, nothing justifies an unloving husband. And nothing justifies a dishonoring wife. Nothing. Because that's the standard in the Word. And we're supposed to obey the Word. 
If you have a bad marriage, put medicine on it. Don't put salt in the wound. In other words, if you have a husband that's not loving you, honor him. Don't dishonor him because if you dishonor him, he's not going to love you. Men will never love someone that dishonors them. Never. And if you have a wife that's dishonoring you, love her because it's her natural reaction to love someone who honors her. And I'm telling you what, men, if you don't love her, someone at work will. Someone will begin complimenting her and paying attention to her. Please understand, if you have a bad marriage, put medicine on it. And let me tell you what the medicine is. A loving husband can heal a dishonoring wife. And an honoring wife can heal an unloving husband. Now, I'm going to say that again because that's better than you think it is. A loving husband can heal a dishonoring wife. And an honoring wife can heal an unloving husband. You do the right thing and let God do His part. If you will do your part, if you say in a covenant, I will lay down all of my rights, all of them, you supposedly laid them down to become a Christian. It is amazing to me how many Christians come in and say this, I have the right. That, that, now that just blows me away in the first place. And by the way, later in this series, I'm going to talk about the biggest lie that's coming against our society today, and that is that you have the right to be happy. And that's causing more divorces more divorces in our society now. We hear that more than anything, any lie that I've ever heard is God wants me happy. I'm going to tell you something. God wants you to be like Jesus. And if you ever get like Jesus, you'll be happy. But anything else you do that falls below the standard of Jesus, you will not be happy. Boy, that's a good message. That's going to be a good one when I get to that one. That's going to be a good one. God wants you to be like Jesus. All right, I don't even know where I am now. Oh. Okay. Now, let me explain something when we talk about loving and honoring and and loving our spouse. Some of you, you have to understand something. When you come into marriage, for many of those years in marriage, you are eating a crop that you didn't plant. In, In other words, you married this person, but this person has had experiences with her parents, his parents, They've had experiences in other relationships. This person has had experiences with friends, uh, church experience, religious experience. This church has all these other people that has been sowing into her life for years and years and years. So now you marry this person, and what's coming out of this person is a crop that you didn't plant. You understand what I'm saying? And you have to understand that. When Debbie and I got married, we were both messed up. Just just messed up. We, we didn't understand things that we should do. We both had great parents, great family, but we didn't understand about marriage. It took me longer to get my driver's license than it did to get a marriage license. You understand? No one taught me. I didn't understand. So I came to that marriage very messed up, very insecure, very fearful, very domineering, having the wrong concept of women in this world, had a horrible concept. Debbie came in with her fears, her insecurities, and so for years... She's saying things that are coming from seeds that were planted in her before we ever got married. I'm saying things that were planted that from my past, there was a bad past, that, that she, she was eating a crop she didn't plant. Okay, listen to me. What do you do then? Well, do you, here's your point. Now, do you keep planting bad seeds? Do you keep speaking dishonoringly to this person? Do you keep speaking in an unkind way? Because if you do, then after you've been married 15 and 20 and 25 years, you're still eating the crop, but now you're eating your own crop. You're eating your own bad crop. Here's what I'm saying to you. Even if you come into marriage and you understand this person is saying some things that she really doesn't mean, that he really doesn't mean, you start planting good seeds, and in 5, 10, 20 years, you'll be eating your own crop, and it'll be a good crop. 
Every morning, I want you to hear this. Every morning, I wake up to an honoring wife, and she wakes up to a loving husband, and it's heaven on earth. But it took some time for us to get to this place, because I'm planting good seeds in her every day, and she's planting good seeds in me, and now she's eating the crop that she planted, and I'm eating the crop that I planted. You understand? So we have to come to a place that we're going to do what's right, no matter what the other person does. Here's the second responsibility we have to pick up. Honor. Honor. I assume the responsibility to honor you and to do everything possible to help you achieve your highest potential and God's perfect will for your life. I assume the responsibility to honor you and to do everything possible to help you achieve your highest potential and God's perfect will for your life. Now, I'm going to make a a really strong statement, and there's a whole lot of people in this generation that wouldn't like this statement or agree with it. God designed for a man to reach his potential with a woman helping him. And God designed for a woman to reach her potential with a man helping him. Do you know how I know that? Because God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Is that right? He did not create two men to help each other reach their potential. He created a man and a woman. And here's what he said. Adam, you're going to be all that you can be because of this that I'm giving you, a perfect gift. And Eve, you're going to be all you can be because I'm giving you a perfect gift. I will never reach my full potential without Debbie. She will never reach her full potential without me. God did not create just male. He did not create just female. He created male and female. And if you're a male, unless... Now, let me make a disclaimer on this. The only way a man or a woman could reach his or her full potential is if he or she were called to celibacy. That's the only way. And by the way, if you're single here and you want to know if you're called to celibacy, there's a real easy test. If you look at a cactus in the desert, you know those cactuses that they come up and they go like this? Look at a cactus and then look at a woman, and if you don't see any difference, then you're called to celibacy. If you can see any difference at all, believe me, you're not called to celibacy, all right? And if you can see a difference, listen to me, you will never reach your full potential without that other person helping you. Because God designed it that way. God designed this this way. I do not agree. Here's another strong statement. I totally disagree with the spirit of the women's movement. But I agree with their issues. I agree with all of the issues that I know of. Men have treated women horribly for years. That's wrong. Absolutely wrong. This is why many mothers say to their daughters now, you better get an education. Because you can't trust men. Men should be trustworthy. But do you understand that if a man would say, I'm in your life, if every man would say, I am in your life to help you reach your full potential, it would heal the scar in the feminine soul immediately. If we would change and begin to love women the way Christ loves the church, it would change. One day, God is going to ask you, men, one day God's going to ask you, what did you do with the most precious gift I ever gave you? For those of you who are married, God's going to ask you, what did you do? The most precious gift God ever gave me was not the gift of preaching, not the gift of leadership, but the gift of Debbie. That's the most precious gift he's ever given me. It's the most precious gift he gave Adam was Eve. It's the highest gift he can give. And God's going to ask me one day, Robert, what would you do with the most precious gift I ever gave you? You know what I'm going to say? 
I'm going to say the most precious gift you ever gave me was Debbie. And in her mother's womb, you had a purpose for her. And I became your best friend to see that purpose fulfilled. When I got her, she was lonely. She was afraid. She was insecure. She was fearful. She didn't like to be around people. She didn't like to talk in front of people. And I continued to push her and push her and push her to reach her potential for the Lord. Do you think Debbie likes to do television programs? Do you think she gets excited about that? Do you think when she was a little girl, she said, when I grow up, I'm going to be on television? It is the last thing that she wants to do. And I continue to say to her, you're good at this. Women relate to you. You are wonderful at this. You are a great example of a wife and a mother, and I'm going to publish you to the whole world. So you have to understand. And here's the thing I want you to understand, men. You will never reach your potential until your highest goal is to have your wife reach her potential. You will never reach your potential until you say, the greatest thing that I can do in this life is make sure that that woman right there is happy and fulfilled and reaches her potential for God. Now, this sermon is better than your amening. It's much better. Is it true? Is this good? We, I choose to love you and I choose to honor you no matter what. No matter what you do, no matter what it's like. Listen. Men will never achieve their potential. Ladies, I'm going to talk to you for a minute. Men will never achieve their potential without a woman helping him. Never. Uh, without a woman honoring him. The, the greatest wound that a man can receive is the wound of dishonor. The worst thing you can do is joke in a sarcastic way around your family at a family reunion about how bad your husband is. It is the worst thing you can do. I don't care if every other wife is doing it. Don't you join in. Don't ever cut your husband down in front of other people. You talk about what a great husband he is, what a wonderful father he is, and I'm telling you, he will be a great husband, and he will be a wonderful father. You are making your husband by the words you speak, especially in public. And a man will never reach his potential without an honoring wife. Never, never, never. Men are where God programmed us to show off for women. I mean, that you, all you've got to do, look, look, what do you see on the sidelines of every men's sporting event? Cheerleaders. You don't see cheerleaders at a women's sporting event. Go, Sally, go. (laughs) Women don't need women to cheer them on. Men need women. If you're ever at the park with the kids and with your your husband and and you're there with the... There's four or five families there and the men are playing basketball and you ladies are sitting on the park bench kind of watching the kids and talking about things... Ladies, don't get up and move over to the basketball court because you'll be calling 911 real quickly. One of those men's going to break his leg trying to jump real high for you, trying to show off for you. And then as soon as you get in the car, this is what your husband's going to say. Do you see how high I jumped? Do you see? And if he's over 40, it's about that high. But here's what you say. Yes, honey, you jumped so high. Yes, you did. You jumped so high, so high. You jumped so high. Yes, you did. I'm telling you, you watch him just sit up straight in that car. I've told you this before. Men are like dogs. You just give them a little pat on the head and a treat every now and then, and they'll be great. You just say to him, he's a good boy. He's a good boy. He's a good boy. He's a good boy. Yeah, just scratch him on the ear. First Peter 3, verse 5 says, for in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, 
being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. If this is talking about how Sarah honored Abraham, now here's what many ladies think today. Well, I could have honored Abraham, but not buffoon over here. You know, if I was married to Abraham, I could, I could honor Abraham. Oh, really? Let me tell you a little bit about Abraham, what kind of a husband he was. Abraham goes into a city, and by the way, Sarah's a knockout. She's gorgeous. He goes into a city, and he does it not once, he does it twice. Twice. And he says to Sarah, let's not tell anyone you're my wife because they might kill me because you're so beautiful. Let's tell everyone you're my sister. So she tells and he tells everyone that she is his sister. And a king takes her into his harem and he's going to sleep with her except God stopped him. I want you to think about this. Abraham would rather have another man sleep with his wife. He's going to let someone else sleep with his wife to save his own skin. Now, tell me again, you could honor this man? See, it says Sarah called him Lord, not liar. She could have called him liar. You're a liar. You know that? You're, you're a coward, too. But she didn't. She called him Lord. And then here's the same thing we do. Okay, I could, couldn't honor Abraham, but I could honor that guy. Or I could honor that guy. I could honor that, that man there. I could honor this man here. I could, that, that man at work who's so kind and, and thoughtful and sensitive. I could honor. Listen to me. Any man that you think that you could honor, a woman did that to him. A woman turned him into a kind man. Men don't come kind from the factory. They don't come thoughtful from the factory. They don't come sensitive from the factory. And it was either a mother, or he had all sisters in his family, or he got married to a wonderful woman. And now he's kind, and he's thoughtful, and he's considerate. Do you understand? You can praise your husband into success, or you can nag him into failure. And no woman can ever understand how important honor is to a man. No matter how much I preach on it, ladies, you'll never understand how important honor is to a man. And in the same way, men can't understand how important communication is to a woman. But here's the point. We have to accept it by faith. We just have to accept by faith. This is his greatest need, and I'm going to meet that need. This is her greatest need, and I'm going to to meet that need. Men gravitate to a place of honor, and they run from a place of dishonor. And I know this is a strong statement, but that could be why he'd rather be at the golf course than at home. Because at least at the golf course, he'll hear, good shot, Bill. Good shot. At least someone will praise him. We have to, you have to understand, men have to have praise. Third thing, submission. Submission. By the way, this is for both. You understand? All these responsibilities are for both. Love. Both of you need to love each other. Both of you need to honor each other. And both of you need to submit. Let me tell you what submission is. I assume the responsibility to serve you by first submitting my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and by surrendering to His Word as the standard for my life and our marriage and family. I assume the responsibility to serve you, serve you, by first submitting my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and by surrendering to His Word as the standard for my life and our marriage and family. We started a moment ago. Uh, Ephesians 5, verse 22. Verse 21 says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Before it ever said, wives, submit to your husbands, it says you need to submit to each other. You need to submit to one another. See, each person in the, in the marriage needs to have an attitude of submission. Each person. And the first one we submit to is to the Lord. What, what do you do when there's a conflict in your marriage? How do you resolve it? How do you resolve conflicts in your marriage? 
Well, let me tell you. See, if, you, if, if it did not come to your mind immediately, you need to think about this. Here's how you solve conflict. The Word of God. That's how you solve conflict. Do you know less than one-third of born-again Christians, according to Barna Research, use the Bible to settle issues in their marriage? Less than one-third. One-third. That's the only way you can settle an issue. What does the Bible say? Well, I'll tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says I'm supposed to love you and lay down my life for you. Well, that right there solved a whole bunch of issues in our marriage. I'll tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says I'm supposed to submit to you as the sa- in the same way that I would submit to the Lord. Well, that solved a whole bunch of issues right there. See, if you don't have the Bible as your standard, as an absolute in your life, then all you have are two independent wills fighting against each other. And here's what will happen. Most of the time, the stronger the one with the strongest will wins. The one with the strongest will to fight. The one with the strongest will not to give up. The one with the strongest will to hold to his position wins. And let me tell you what happens. You are devastating your marriage. And here's what we see. After 10, 15, 20, and 30 years, the person that's been dominated all that time says, I'm out of here. And we have tried and tried and tried to reconcile. And the person with the strong, dominating will then, at that point, says, Okay, I understand I've been nominating, and I'm willing to stop now. And many times, and and it shouldn't be this way. I wish the person could say, Yes, I'll forgive you and go on. And that's what the person should do. But many times I've dealt with ladies or men who've been dominated for years who say, I'm just not taking it anymore. I'm just not taking it. See, let me tell you who the authority is in your family. Men, if you didn't know. And ladies, if you don't know. Jesus. Jesus is the head of your family. He's the one that makes the decisions. He's the one that, and the two of you are submitted to Him. And if the two of you are not submitted to Him, you're going to have problems. You have to understand, God will fight your battles if you'll let Him. How many times does your spouse do something, and it's wrong, and God starts to step in, and you step in and start chewing your spouse out? And so here's what God does. Okay. Okay. You know, I was going to take care of this. But apparently, you think you can take care of it better than I can. I'll just let you take care of it. The best example, again, is Debbie. She, I I was horrible when I came to this marriage. Horrible. Horrible the way I treated her. Horrible the way I spoke to her. Horrible the way that I, I reacted to her. Horrible. Absolutely horrible. And she just loved the Lord and loved me. And served me. I did so many selfish things, unbelievably selfish things. You, if you ever think when I'm up here preaching, you know, I could honor someone if I was married to someone like that. You don't even know what you're talking about. You don't know what she's had to go through. And she's gone through it. I, I, I used to travel and preach. I came home one time from traveling and preaching. I'd been home, uh, I mean, walked in the house from the airport. Been gone a week. Walked in the house from the airport. And a friend called and said, let's go play golf. I said, yeah, I'll go. And this little voice said, this is wrong. <laughs> You've been gone a week. Your wife hasn't seen you for a week. You're going to go play golf? And I thought, well, I'll see her later. That's the way I was. I was very selfish. So I told her, I'm going to play golf. Now listen to me. Nothing. You cannot not imagine. It is not her, just her outward. It is her inward, in her heart. Here's, in, this is what she did. She said, okay, okay. She didn't, she didn't give it to me. She, she just, I'm telling you, you cannot imagine how big God is in her life because she's let God take care of me for all these years. She said, okay, that's great. So I go out the door. As soon as I walked out the door, I got a headache. I now know the reason I got the headache is because she probably did something like this. (laughs) And God looks down and says, that, you stupid fool. (laughs) And when God thumps you, you get a headache. And I walk out the door and get a headache. 
And I think, I'm going anyway. And it's like the Lord saying to me, You're, this is wrong. And I'm thinking, it's not a big deal. It's no big deal. No big deal. I start driving the golf course. I have to stop and buy Tylenol on the way. I get some Tylenol. I get to the golf course. It's blurry. I've got such a headache. It's blurry. I'm still going, no, I, it's not, this is not right. It's just uh, sinuses or something. I'm just not going. Boy, we can be bullheaded sometimes, you know. I get to the fourth green, and I throw up on the green. Everybody had to putt for the rest of the day, had to putt around the vomit. And finally, I say, I, I, I got to go home. I'm sick. I get in the car. I start driving home. The Lord says, you know why you're sick? Yeah, I know why I'm sick. Because I wasn't supposed to go play golf. He said, no, it's not about golf, son. It's about how you treat your wife. It's about how you treat your wife. So I'm driving home. The Lord said to me, you know you've sinned. I said, yes, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry. He said, you don't need to tell me you're sorry. You need to tell her you're sorry. He said, when you get home, you tell her you are wrong, you are selfish, and that you want her to forgive you and to pray for you. I said, could I just have the headache? <laughs> I, that's, that's, that's worse than a headache, God. Now it's not to me. It's a great thing to do it now. But back then, it was hard, it was hard on my pride. So I got home, and I said to her, I said, I have a headache. She said, you, let, me, let me get you some medicine. Let me get you. She's real sweet. She never said, uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm living with as close to Jesus as you can live with, ladies and gentlemen. It's unbelievable. She says, let me take care of you. I said to her, I have a headache because I was very insensitive. I was wrong. I'm sorry. I should not have left. It is not in my heart. I don't know why I do stupid things like this, selfish things like this. I don't know. But I ask you to forgive me, and will you pray for me? When she prayed for me, I was healed. And I don't mean in a few minutes. I mean immediately. The headache went away. God has done so many drastic things like that in my life because she's trusted the Lord. Ladies, you... I cannot tell you enough, if you'll trust God, how God can heal your marriage. And if you will pick up your responsibility, regardless of what he does. Men, I can't tell you enough, if you will pick up your responsibility, regardless of what she does, I can't tell you how much that will heal your marriage. Do you know why? Because when you do that, when you give up your rights, and when you pick up your responsibilities, you bring the spirit of covenant into your marriage. And the spirit of covenant will always triumph over spirit of contract. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? You say, well, Robert, you told us last week if, if we have more of a spirit of contract and covenant in our marriage that we should begin doing, bringing the spirit of covenant in. Is there anything else I can do? Yeah, there's one other thing you can do. Repent. Repent to God and repent to your spouse. Sometime this week, you ought to sit down in your quiet time and ask the Lord to show you areas in your life where you need to repent to your spouse. Rights that you have not laid down and responsibilities that you have not picked up. And you ought to get with your spouse sometime this week and say, I need to tell you these things. And I ask you to forgive me. I've asked the Lord to forgive me. And I ask you to forgive me. And I ask you to pray for me. You cannot change your marriage. But you can change yourself. And God can change your marriage. Let me say that again. You can't change your marriage, but you can change yourself. And God can change your marriage. Father, I pray that you would cause these truths to go deeply into our hearts. So that these truths will bear much fruit 
in our lives and in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.